Thank you, Susie. Good morning, everybody. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, and I just want to agree with her. Our best people, which is you, ought to be working with children. I mean, that's our future. Whether it's preschool or nursery or children's church or youth group or Royal Rangers, that's an opportunity to impact the next generation. So if that stirs in your heart, you could give an hour one Sunday at one of the services and attend church at the other one. That would be awesome. Now, Lord, as we study your word, we just ask for great clarity by the Holy Spirit to teach us whatever you would say to your church today. And Lord, thank you for the people that watch online. Bless and encourage them today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. In chapter 2, we're talking about the seven churches. How many churches? Very good. And uh, before we read the passage, I want to make three points. And so if you are going to take notes today, this will help you get an orientation to the entire book. And here's the first of those points, and that is before Jesus judges the earth, which is what part of the book is about. He's going to judge his people, the church. The book of Peter says this is time for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord. Well, why does the Lord do that? Because any mother or father is going to deal with their children first before you deal with somebody else's kids. So this is very serious for us as part of the church of Jesus Christ in our nation. Now, if you look at the judgments of Christ in chapters 2 and 3, It applies to four groups. What are the four groups, Steve? Well, it's obvious the first group are the seven churches, literal churches, about the year 96 AD. They're in what is today Turkey. Now, there's a map of the seven churches. And somebody was talking to me in the hallway a while ago and said, I can't keep them straight. Which ones did he talk about? Well, look at the bottom left. You see Ephesus. See that? You see Ephesus? Hold your hand up. Okay, it's just like a horseshoe. So you start at the bottom, go to the top, go over and come down, and we end up at Laodicea. See it? Seven. Now, my wife saw what I did this morning at about seven, and she said, you're absolutely crazy. That makes no sense. Well, it makes sense to me. I put together a little acronym so I could remember them in order because I've never been able to do that. And here it is. Even, everyone say even. That's Ephesus. Steve, everyone say Steve. And then Pearson, even Steve Pearson. Takes sardines. The crazier, the more you'll remember it. Even Steve Pearson takes sardines on his Philly cheesesteak sandwiches. Yum. And then uses lotion to clean his little messy hands. She looked at me. She might have even swatted me on the shoulder. Said, that makes no sense. I remember it. So you invent your own. So the second group is all churches. What do you mean, all churches? Churches in Kenya, churches in Russia, churches in the 1500s, churches in the 1900s, the body of Christ. Church is nothing but family. Jesus is family wherever they are. And wherever Jesus' family happens to be, I love them. Because they belong to Jesus. So... Jesus is evaluating all churches. And as we go through the seven, we'll do probably two of them today. Think about where would our church be out of the seven? Which one fits our church the best? Could be brutal. Third one is everybody. 
If you've given your heart to Jesus, you are a follower or believer. So you're on these pages. Which one of the seven are you? Don't ever read the scripture without putting you in the passage. It's about you and Jesus. And fourth is seven phases in church history, which some people call that dispensation, say dispensations. Now, I think some people take that to a big time extreme. I'm not there. My counsel is don't put a lot of thought into it. If you want to play with it, okay. Don't spend weeks and weeks and weeks thinking about that. Why? Well, I'll give you some examples. And there's probably some truth to it. But in America and Europe, probably a couple hundred years ago, they kind of came up with this concept. And they said, well, after the church was established and the canon was written, therefore, we don't really need the Holy Spirit anymore. And his filling and miracles and signs and wonders, that was for those guys when the first apostles died out. We don't need that anymore. Well, I don't believe that. So let's not take this to extremes. Now, here's the second thing I want to mention. The word overcome, would you repeat it, please? The word Overcomes very important in these two chapters. Why? Well, Jesus will tell us. What does overcome mean? It means to triumph. It means to prevail. I I played sports for a long, long, long time, and I hated to lose. I've been known to even cheat in chess today. Oh, look over there. And we're all in a battle. And you need to win battles. And Jesus told the seven churches that were in battles. And he tells all of us, we can have victory. We can literally have victory and not succumb to sin, to darkness, to dysfunction that's been in your family for four generations. You don't have to repeat that stuff. You can win, you can triumph, you can live better and stronger, you can be happier. And you know, I wanna ask you, do do you have an option? I think about this, I don't have an option. I have to prevail. I can't quit. I can't throw in the towel. I can't say, let somebody else do it. I can't say, well, you know, uh, I'm tired. No, I have to prevail. Whatever he's given me to do, I need to keep my hand on the plow and go forward. It's in the text. And I'm not being presumptuous, but he means for us to overcome. He wants us to overcome in any situation. Why? He says it seven times. Seven. Not once, seven times he says it. He who overcomes, I will do this and this and this. It is a choice to get back up and get in the fight in the next day to determine no matter if everybody else quits, I'm going to do my best to be faithful, walk in humility, help people, honor and obey the Lord. Now here's this little saying, don't succumb, overcome. Say it please, don't succumb, overcome. He wouldn't tell us that. He would not tell us that if he didn't mean it. Okay, so you got it? You tracking with me? Now, let's go to the very first church. It's a church in Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus is summed up by the word loveless. It is the loveless church. Okay? So let's look in our text. Chapter 2, verse 1, and to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this. Now, last week we talked about the Greek word for angel. It could mean an angel, but it means messenger. It's probably to the pastor, the shepherd, the elder, whoever is responsible, write these things. What? The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, 
the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds, I know your toil and perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, but they are not, and you found them to be false. Verse 3, you have perseverance, and you've endured for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. All that, is that good or bad? That's very good. He's commanding his people. Look at verse 4. It turns. But. Whenever you see the but, it's a contrast. Things change. But I have this against you. You've left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. Do the deeds you did at first or else I'm going to come to you. This is very serious. And I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have. You hate the deed of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the center of the paradise of God. Now, let me tell you things, a few things about Ephesus. This church is loaded with some superstar pastors. What do you mean? A guy named Tychicus, mentioned in scripture. Apollos, who is a noted Bible teacher, an amazing speaker, preacher. A guy named Timothy. You ever heard of Timothy? Here's another guy, not so bad. His name is the Apostle Paul. He was there three years. Probably started the church. And I think the strongest of all, the guy that's writing the book, John. Kind of the father of Christendom. These seven churches, that's the center of Christendom during this time. So they've got a lot of cool things going for them. And Ephesus had the greatest harbor in all of Asia Minor. Ephesus had four major trade roads emanating from the center. Look at that road right there. Can you see it? Look how broad and long that road is. Ephesus was the gateway to Asia Kind of like New York City has been the gateway for our country. Prominent, prominent, prominent place. Now, this is a new gym we're thinking about building here on the property. Fontes has asked we could do it. He said we'd pay for it. This is the Temple of Diana. If you know your history, it is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Full of commerce, worship, paganism. Uh, It was a very, very dark place. This is a statue of Diana. That's her Roman name. Her Greek name is Artemis. Now, if you notice something very strange, weird, and unique about this old gal here. She was called the many-breasted one. You know why? She was elevated as the one that would meet all your needs. You can count on Artemis. And that's why she was worshipped. Now that beautiful, expensive temple, this is the last remaining things about it. See it right there? There's not much there. So much for the best of mankind. Now, this is the theater, the amphitheater there in Ephesus. Probably seats 15,000 people. Huge, huge. Acts chapter 19, 
There's a guy named Demetrius who was a prosperous silversmith. He probably dealt in gold and brass and bronze and all kind of stuff. He was probably the head of a trade union. And he got a lot of people in this theater and he started a riot. So this place is full of business people, tradesmen. And Artemis, I mean, uh, Demetrius in his speech says, these people, these interlopers, this guy Paul, this guy Timothy, they're telling things to our citizens like idols made with hands are not real gods. Well, duh. They're ruining our business. Our temple will decline. Their teaching about this Jesus is going to affect all of Asia. We have to stop these guys. We need to be arrested and killed. And a couple of Paul's team actually went out on stage and they were beaten up. And they started yelling, Artemis is great. Artemis is great. Artemis is great. Think of 5,000 people yelling. And Paul, the stubborn preacher he was, was about to run out on stage and preach, and they tackled him, saying, no. Now look at what Jesus says about the body of Christ in Ephesus, this mega city. He commends them for their service. Service is good. I want to be tired every day because I've attempted to serve people and serve Jesus. And I pray you feel the same way too. And he commended them that you stood for the truth. And he commended them that they exposed false teachers. But he said... Because of all your work in serving me, you have neglected your first love and your devotion to me has fallen away. Your love for me like leaves in November blowing across the ground. He said, you left your first love. And he said this, this is what Jesus said to the people. Say it with me, please. Remember from where you have fallen. Now, if you have all ever taken a fall, you end up someplace you do not want to be. How many have ever ended up in a place you did not want to be? About eight or nine years ago, I was flying to the Philippines And I had to lay over four hours in the Atlanta airport. And I had some friends there in Atlanta. I called them up and said, can we have a meal together? So we met at a restaurant close to the airport. It was pouring down rain. And like the knucklehead I am, I just walked into the restaurant. It had a stone floor that was very slick. And I did not pay attention to everybody else walking in with raincoats and dripping water all across the stone floor. And I'm just kind of looking at the salad bar and trying to find my friends, not paying attention. And all of a sudden, I saw my toes up in the air, about four feet off the ground, and I landed like a dead whale. (laughs) People came out of the kitchen to see what sequoia just crashed. And there were a hundred people that turned and went, that must be a preacher from Kentucky. (laughs) My friends got up. Waiters looked at me. And I had three thoughts almost simultaneously. One, I am like so embarrassed. My second thought was, I hurt really bad. And the third one was, oh no, I've got a 22-hour flight to the Philippines tonight, and I don't know if I can walk, stand, or sit. 
Praise God I was able to do that. I think people fall and don't realize the danger and how quick their life and their faith can change. And Jesus said, here's what you need to do. Repent. Everyone say repent. Repent means to change your mind. Think differently about this. Do you want to keep making the same mistakes? Do you want to live better? Do you want to get this anger out of your heart? Change your direction. Change your heart. Let me do it, Steve. Without repentance, nothing changes. You'll just keep on being miserable. Then he said, remember. Everyone say, remember. Remember the passion that you once had when Christ was closest to you, when you were more committed to him and then not just remember his steps were do what you used to do. Do what you used to do. You want your first love rekindled? Do what you used to do when you were deeply in love with Jesus. And then he said, do the first works. What, what are first works? Uh, we don't hear about these things in church anymore, sadly. But do the spiritual disciplines of the faith. What do you mean the first work spiritual disciplines? The basic things you kind of do. If you want to walk with Jesus strong, you got to be in the book. You got to have a prayer life. Learn to share your faith. Find a place to serve. Honor the Lord with your income. Walk in humility. Use the gifts you've been given. Now, that pretty girl beside me in that photo, she said, yeah, I do. 42 years ago. And we are complete opposites. I'm loud and she's smart. She's dedicated. I'm up and down. She's always loving and uncritical and I can be a piece of work. But we had a good first year in our marriage. And boy, we were opposites. And there were times we fought. And there were times I'm sure we thought, boy, did I marry the wrong person. Um, We've lived a crazy lifestyle. But she's been with me. We've worked together. We've never quit on each other. We've served each other. And this is the most important thing I'll say. I've discovered my love for Sue comes because of my love for Christ. The deeper I'm in love with Jesus, the more I love Sue. When I've been in the scriptures and I come back from my prayer time, I just am so full of love and respect and adoration for my wife. And that's the key to a good marriage. Maybe, ladies, you're married to a guy that's not a Christian. He doesn't understand it. He's stubborn. He's, he doesn't. He's not affectionate. But the key to loving him is loving Jesus. The scripture says, repent and do the things that you once did, the first works. Now, this church, let's not call them programs I'm going to call them opportunities to change your life. Marriage is not an easy deal. We're one of the few marriage we're one of the few churches in our area that has marriage coaching. Most of the time people when they get married they go to premarital counseling and then when they get in a crisis they go for a pastoral counselor but there's nothing in between. And all the t- usually by the time you get to see a marriage counselor, it may be so bad you can't pull it out. But we have marriage coaching four times a year called Grace Marriage. It's four hours. My wife and I, we've been in it for four years because it's an investment. It's actually helped our marriage. 
And I would suggest, no matter the state of your marriage, join us. We had 70 couples last year doing this. And we met in groups of six to 10 couples at a time. So this is a great opportunity to keep your marriage good and growing. Now here's a warning from Ephesians. If they fail to repent... Jesus would remove them, not their salvation, but from their place of significance. The place he destined them to be, the place he wanted them to be, because they were not listening. Uh, Are you listening? Would that be a yes? Are you listening? This is very serious. He said he would come and remove them. And actually, more than him removing them, we remove ourselves. They would lose their influence. They would lose their mission. They would lose their reason for existence. The American church is in a really tough spot all over the country. And it's because we've lost our first love. And Jesus said this when he was asked, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? What's the one thing I should really focus on for the rest of my life? And he said, you really want to know? Yes, we really want to know. And he said it four different times. Here's what you do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your will. Four different ways of loving him. Now, Have you ever lost your first love? I have. Not for long, but I have. It is the most dangerous position to be in. Because you get set up for everything else. A lot of my classmates at Asbury Seminary, I saw a survey, a statistic that said, People that start out doing what I do, or they're missionaries, or worship leaders, or youth pastors, or professional counselors, only 10% are doing at age 65 what they were doing at 25. The attrition rate is horrible. Why? Well, they work a lot, they burn out, but it's because they lose their first love. So there's a guy I mentioned in the text. He's actually mentioned in the first two churches, the Nicolaitans. We're not talking about the town 10 miles south of here, so don't don't connect them. Nicholas was a first century deacon that was appointed in the scripture. You can read about him in chapter 6. And Eusebius, a Christian historian, says he was actually a false witness. And he misled hundreds, if not thousands of people in the first church and corrupted the whole purpose of the gospel because this is kind of what he taught. Well, you're a Christian. You're in Christ. You can live any way you want to. You can live any way you want to. Do whatever you want to do because there's freedom in Christ. You've got God's grace. You've been forgiven. So therefore, don't worry about how you live. And that was attractive to a lot of people back then, probably attractive now. And Jesus hated this poison. Yes, we've been forgiven. Yes, we're his children, but we need to be careful how we live. We need to walk in holiness, not licentiousness, which means no restraints. Point number six. Here's the promise. If these believers chose to overcome this loss of first love, then Jesus said, I will sustain you. I will feed you. I will give you food from the very center of my glorious heaven. If you make this choice. Now, sitting here today, here's some questions. Seven times Jesus said this question. He who has an ear, 
Say it with me, please. He who has a ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, all seven. When I take a pastor to lunch or breakfast in our city, after a while, generally, I will ask him this question. And I'm, I want to hear what's on their heart. And I go, what is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you about our city? Is he saying the same thing to you that he's saying to me? What is he saying? So, do you have an ear? Are you listening? Because he's speaking. Another question. If you were perfectly honest, have you lost your first love? Was there a time you were more in love with him than you are today? Another question. Have you allowed things to get in your way of your walk with him? School, work, kids. It's easy to do. It happens to all of us. And another question. Well, let's go on to the next text. Okay. Are you tracking with me? Now, this is another seaport town. This is Smyrna, a wealthy town. At the time, 100,000 people living there. Verse number 8. To the angel of the church of Smyrna, write this. The first and the last. The one that was dead, who's come to life, says this. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. And then parentheses in my Bible. But you're rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so you will be tested. Everyone say tested. And you will have tribulation for how long? How long? Ten days. Be faithful unto death. If you do that, I will give you something significant, a crown of life. You as an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by what? The second death. Jesus made it very, very, very clear. I'm the first. Steve, don't ever forget that. I'm the first. Steve, remember I'm the last in everything. I'm the first, I'm the last, and I got everything in between. Steve, don't forget that. Now, Jesus said it four different times. Very, very important. He was the first to be raised from the dead. He's the first in authority. He is the originator of every blessing you have ever had. If you have a blessing, have, have some of you had blessings? Let's see your hand. Have you been blessed? Guess what? He originated the blessing. Don't forget that. He created not some things. He created all things. I do not, do not know why he created llama beans. I don't like llama beans. I think the devil created them, but I'm going to ask him when I get to heaven. He has the last words on our life and the final saying when we die. Now, this is a great comfort to the people in Smyrna. Why? It's their highest purpose. The first priority, especially if you're a believer in a war zone. If you're a Christian where Al-Qaeda has killed hundreds and hundreds of people, this passage 
is a great comfort. Look at this Christian worshiping at his bombed out church. The 10 most dangerous places for a Christian to be around the globe. Could you name any of them? First one is North Korea. Open Doors Mission Agency has ranked North Korea first in persecution for 20 years. There's somewhere between 300,000 and 500,000 vibrant Christians in North Korea. The church is growing, but they pay a price for it. The second most difficult place is Afghanistan. After what happened this past year, it's far more dangerous. It is open season on Christians. Third place is Somalia. Fourth place is Libya. Our country about 10, 12, 15 years ago worked behind the scenes to overthrow Muammar Gaddafi, got him killed, and it's become 10 times more dangerous since. Fifth is Pakistan. Sixth is Eritrea, over there by Ethiopia. These are Christians praying in Eritrea. They are risking arrest just by meeting together to pray in secret. Number seven is Yemen. Number eight is Iran. Iran is the fastest growing church in the world. Young people are having visitations by angels and Jesus coming to them and they're listening to podcasts and broadcasts and disobeying the mullahs that are trying to squelch this. When I was in Armenia about three years ago, I was able to look out a window at a secret training center where Iranians could cross the border with Armenia because there's no checkpoint there at the time and get training for evangelism and discipleship by Armenian Christians. Jesus is doing wonderful things. Listen to what this Yemenite Christian said. She said, I can't keep a Bible in my house because my, my house will be searched ultimately. And if they find the Bible, they may execute me because I have a Bible. So I have to keep a Bible away from my house and then go outside to secretly read it. Ninth is Nigeria. Tenth is India. India has a prime minister who wants only Muslims in his country. I'm sorry, Hindus, and he wants to drive them out, Christians. In Nigeria, a pastor wrote this recently. Up in the north, where the persecution is greatest, thousands of Christians have died in the north of Nigeria. And he said this, we're never safe. We never are safe when we go to sleep at night. We just know that. Us and our kids, we know that no matter where we live. We don't even know if we'll wake up in the morning. But as a pastor, I tell the people in my small church, we are still good because we are in the hands of Jesus. And Jesus will keep us if we live. Jesus will keep us if we die. Someone say amen. amen. And then Jesus said to these persecuted believers in Smyrna, you guys are rich. In the things that really matter. It's not about college degrees. It's not how many garage doors you have. It's not about what kind of car you drove. It's not about how much money you have in your IRA, you are rich in the things that will last forever because you have suffered for my name's sake. And he said, I've listened to the blasphemy in your town. Let me define blasphemy. 
Blasphemy is insulting the character of God and the things of God. And he said, it's by those who call themselves Jews who say they are my people, the chosen people. They may be Jewish by birth or Jewish by blood, but they are not the apple of my eye. They're just as pagan as everybody else. Because what I love, they are destroying. And these wicked religious people are organizing in Smyrna other pagans, mobs, to kill Christians. This is a picture of people killed the night before in Nigeria. Christians. Only Christians. Because they're trying to stamp out my people. The Messiah's people. In Smyrna. Now, this church and your pastor, we love the Jews. God has a huge plan for the Jews. And we're going to support them. We're going to support Israel. But he said, there's a synagogue there. Instead of where my spirit resides, Satan has set up his headquarters. Very damning. And Jesus said this, put on your seatbelt. Put on your helmet. Because there's a 10-day period of persecution that's coming to Smyrna. This is a a burned-out church in Iraq. Persecution coming to the church in Smyrna. And now you think about that, since I think everything in Scripture is important. 10 days, 10 days. What's such a big deal about 10 days? I mean, 10 days is not that long. Is that a big deal, 10 days? Well, let me give you an analogy. 25 years ago in Rwanda, in 100 days, three months, genocide broke out. It wasn't even a war. It was genocide, this ethnic group killing this ethnic group. And we even have no sure numbers. This is an estimate. 650,000 people died in three months. So what did Jesus tell the church in Smyrna? He told them the same thing he tells you. Don't be afraid of anything. Literally, say it. Say it with me, please. Do not fear any of the things that you're about to suffer. You're going to suffer, but don't be afraid because I still have you. I'll get you through it. You'll be better on the other side. Now, I want to explain the difference in two words. I want to explain the definition of what temptation is. By the way, God never tempts anyone. Temptation is done by the devil. And it's designed to cause people to sin, to make bad choices, to act out in their flesh and fall. God never tempts anyone, the scripture clearly says, but he does test people. They could even be the same event. Testing is hardship that the Father allows to bring purification to his people and promotion. See, if you pass, you get promoted. If you stay faithful, if you overcome, you grow, you learn, you become, you're more useful. You find a new place in intimacy with him. Some of you may be in a test right now. And he said at the church, the devil's about to throw a bunch of you in prison. And I'm allowing it. So you may be tested. And a word our Savior used. Are you ready? The word is faithfulness. And he said faithfulness to the very end. What is faithfulness to the very end? Do you know what the very end is? What is the very end? The day you take your last breath. 
I don't want to be faithful for 10 years. I don't want to be faithful for half my life. We want to be faithful until the day Jesus comes and gets us. We want to be more passionate, more useful on our last day than on our first day. And he said, for you people that have undergone persecution and suffering for my namesake, not for your namesake, my namesake, I'm going to give you a promise. You will find in heaven a reward that other believers will never receive And that is a special crown that I call the crown, the victor over life's hardship and overcomer. And he says to those who do that, the second death. Have you ever heard of that? You know what that means, second death? Can I have somebody from the worship team come up and play for us. Do you know what the second death is? We all die physically, but a second death is a spiritual death. death. When death occurs physically, the soul and the spirit leave the body and there's a separation. That's when death happens. Spiritual death happens when you are separated from God and everything good forever. And those people will be sentenced to a place. I don't like to talk about it, but I gotta talk about it. It's called the lake of fire. It is a real place. Jesus talked about it because he wanted to help people avoid it. That's for people who reject Christ. There are no second chances once a person dies. It is forever. It is a real place. That's why Christ came. That's the mission of the church. Now, this is another opportunity. Your pastor heard the gospel in the street outside of a bar when I was 18, changed my life. Since that time, I have been sharing the gospel and teaching other people how to lead people to Christ. We use a simple tool called Evangelism Explosion. It is a 12-week course. We do it on Thursday nights. We start in February. It's about three hours every Thursday night. But if you take that class, we will show you how to be a soul winner. When your father is dying of cancer in the hospital, you'll know what to say to him. When your coworker is going through a divorce and is distraught, you'll know how to talk to him. And leading people to Christ is very, very easy if you just learn how to do it. And we would love to teach you how to do it and have confidence So I want to close this time with some questions. Well, what questions? Are you under pressure right now to deny your faith? Do you stand for Jesus or do you wilt? I'm not talking about preaching to everybody, but if people ask you, you are a committed follower of Christ and you love people because Jesus loves you. and You don't go around lowering your head. No, you stand tall and you love people and you look for opportunities to serve people. Second question, are you facing ridicule for your faith? Are you afraid to speak up because somebody may not like it or somebody may ask you a question you don't know how to answer? And my last question, We all go through hardship. We all go through suffering. We all go through loss. It's part of life. But the question is, does hardship push you away from Jesus? And you listen to the devil's lies that God doesn't care. He's not there. Or does it cause you to run to him? As we close our service, we're going to close with a final song in a minute. But the end of the service is the most most important.
important part of the service because it's a time to respond to whatever he says. So I'm going to open the altar right now. We'll pull down the lights a little bit. If you've lost your first love, if you've gotten too busy for your relationship with Jesus and you need the fire to come back, you need the passion to come back, I want you to come to the altar. Don't tell me, tell him. Get on your knees. Open your heart and say, Jesus, I want to walk with you like I used to walk. I want the passion back. I want tears. I want love to overflow. And so, Father, we just ask for the ministry of your spirit to bring your fire to your people. Place your fire within our heart, the fiery eyes of Jesus to burn and see the state of our hearts. And as we come to the altar, rekindle that first love that's most important before everything. So come to the altar this morning and ask him for that first love again. Come to the altar. we can all crown Jesus as king of our heart and just know that no no matter what comes in these days ahead of us that he is good and we never have to question that and we always have him as our anchor so let's Jesus let's just pray Jesus we crown you as the king of our heart Lord we want you to be the bookends of our day bookends of our life, Lord, that you would, you would have our hearts in every way that we would be completely surrendered and completely abandoned to you. In Jesus' name. Good. 
you to get away, when he asks you to get in the Bible, when he gets, calls you to pray, jump, move, and he'll meet you right there. Father, thank you for the love you've given your people, for your son, the Holy Spirit. And so we honor you today. Now, Father, if there's somebody in the room, somebody watching online that's never given their heart to Jesus, right where they sit, stand. May they just pray with me. 
Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart. Be my Savior and Lord today because I give you my life forever. Make me your child and give me a home in heaven and use me to spread your love. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, come and see one of us. Have a great day. There's people that will pray with you. Slip out quietly. Pick up your own children instead of somebody else's. joining us at Church of the Savior online today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made the decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.